Good morning. Are we on? Okay. If you have children, uh, feel free to send them back with Michelle. She's right in the middle. Um, when Josh said it's going to be a sensitive subject, he's right. I'm letting them get out the door. You can turn in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 5. As you're doing that, in the last four weeks, we have been walking through different chapters in the book of Proverbs talking about wisdom, the treasures of wisdom, and now we start the robbers of wisdom, those, those things in our world that will rob us of joy, will rob us of hope, will rob us of peace. There are many temptations. So I'm going to start, before we read the text, um, I want to preface a few things. I want you to remember that the reality of sin is in this text. When Proverbs was written by, assumingly, Solomon, we have sin as a very real thing and the temptations that come from that can overwhelm many people. What happens when we don't listen to wisdom? All forms of temptation. We will begin this next four weeks of learning about those who rob from the wise. Today we begin with a terrible temptress. This evil plagues our world. It destroys marriages, families, businesses, communities, reputations, children, and lives. We see it allure, its allure on every magazine, every TV show, every movie, every song on the radio, many books, and on every advertisement we find online. Many videos on TikTok, from influences on Instagram, and we have entire dating apps to help us to fall into this temptation. Proverbs 5 is going to be an interesting text for us this morning. I hope it's challenging. I hope it's unforgettable so that this week you go back home and you reflect on what is God calling you to do in response. When we read this text on adultery, I want you to think as we go through it, this text, this verse, is about wisdom. This verse is about the forbidden woman, or about adultery, or about sin, or about being foolish and unwise. So I want you to try to categorize these as I read through. Think about what side are we talking about, okay? Chapter 5, verse 1. My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding, that you may Keep discretion, and your lips may guard knowledge. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life, her ways wander, and she does not know it. And now, O sons, listen to me, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. 
Keep your way far from her, and do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless, lest strangers take their fill of your strength and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. And at the end of your life, you groan, and when your flesh and body are consumed, and you say, how I hated discipline, and my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to hear to my instructors. I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be for yourself alone and not for your strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breast fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all of his paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline. And because of his great folly, he is led astray. As you, hopefully, were trying to segment this text into two different groups, what I want to do is I want to walk through the texts that I believe are the wisdom text, and then I'm going to walk through the texts that are the forbidden woman or the temptress text. So I'm just going to summarize really quickly. So Nathan, you can go back to the text and try to keep up. (laughs) So verses 1 and 2 says, listen to wisdom. Verses 7 and 8, keep away from the forbidden woman. Don't go near her house. Verses 15 and 16 says, Drink from your own well, meaning let your sexual intimacy come from your spouse. Verses 17 through 19, your spouse is to fulfill your needs and your desires. Verse 21, God is sovereign and cares for people. Right there is my very brief summation of what wisdom looks like in this passage in relation to the text of Proverbs 5, I should say. Okay. So if you live according to wisdom, you will obviously live a life in accordance with God's desires. You will listen to him and keep away from sin and its temptations. You will enjoy your spouse and be satisfied in all that God provides you. Now to the rebuke. Proverbs 5, verses 3 through 6. The forbidden woman offers sweetness and passion, but it ends in sadness and pain. She leads to death of relationship with your spouse and has no care for you. In verses 9 through 14, the adulteress. How far should you stay away from the one who is tempting you? The answer is as far as possible. Adultery removes your honor and your future life. It will, it will zap you of your energy and your money. It even says you will suffer and your body will die. That's what this text tells us. 
In verse 20 it says, Do not give what is meant for your wife to another. And when I read that, I think of your love, your attention, your passion, your time, and your words. The different ways that you show love, they are meant for your spouse. And in verse 22 and 23, the wicked deny God's ways and are enslaved by sin. I'm going to read that last one again. The wicked deny God's ways and are enslaved by sin. As I was studying for this text, I thought, well, knowing we have different ages in the room and different generations and different cultures maybe even and different language that we use, and I know everyone here is obviously speaking English because I'm speaking English to you and you're listening to me. Uh, even though, do I have anyone in here that's 75 and up that's willing to raise their hand? <laughs> there you go. Okay. About anyone who's 20 and younger, will you raise your hand? Anyone 20 and younger? Oh, we got a couple. Okay. So we've got 20-year-olds and we've got 80-year-olds in the room. And both of you speak English. Do you speak the same English? Do you understand the words that come out of each other's mouths all the time? I imagine there's going to be words that I say in this next part that you do not understand. I am going to try to define some words you're going to hear in our society specifically about what I would say is the forbidden woman from this text, the adulteress, the temptress, the temptation that is going to impact us in this world. I feel like it's necessary just to go through some relationships that we have in our world so that we can be aware of them so that we can know how to fight against them. Okay? First one, an example of a forbidden relationship, premarital having sexual contact with someone before you're married. That would be an example of a forbidden relationship. Everyone agree with that? Okay. A homosexual relationship. That is a relationship between two people of the same gender. The Bible speaks very clearly that this is not how God has created us to be. This is a forbidden relationship. The next one on my list is self. That might sound strange. You are not to have sexual relations with yourself. In essence, it's masturbation is a forbidden relationship. You are not supposed to be well, homosexual from the last one. In, in essence, if you're having a sexual relationship with yourself, then you're committing homosexuality. I know that sounds strange. This is a weird list to say at church. I get that. Adultery is having sex with someone that you're not married to. Having casual sex would be having a sexual experience with someone that you have no attachment to. This is forbidden in the Bible. This is forbidden in God's kingdom. You are not supposed to have casual sex. Next one on the list I have is voyeuristic. 
You know that old school term? Young people probably don't know that term. Uh, voyeurism is looking, the peeping Tom, having a sexual experience by looking at other people. We call it lust. Um, but in our culture, we are able to have visual connections with people in lots of ways. The computer and the phone are amazing technology that have been used to glorify God. And yet they are also windows into evil. Voyeurism. Another relationship that is not allowed in God's kingdom is stalking. It's the pursuit of somebody who does not want to be pursued. The next two are kind of connected, but I listed them separately. Forced. We are not to have forced sexual contact. A general term would be rape. Rape is evil. God hates it. The next one would be coerced. We are not to have coerced sexual contact with others. Some of this might show up in a power dynamic. They might be influenced by money. I would say this is where prostitution and those type of connections would be. These are all forbidden. Sexual relationships are not coerced and they're not forced. The next one is incest. God spends a lot of time in Deuteronomy talking about the people you're not supposed to have sex with. And you're not supposed to have sex with people who you're related to. The next one is pornographic. Watching other people have sex or have a sexual connection while seeing other people have sex. Pornographic is a tough one because it's become much more available in our world. And the temptation is much more real. Another forbidden relationship that might be tempting for us is marrying a non-believer. If you are a believer, you're not to be yoked with a non-believer. Believers are, are to be connected to people who share the same values and the same master in the Lord Jesus. Now, there are a couple words that you might have heard. Polygamous or polyamorous. These are relationships where you are in with more than just one other person. Having sexual relations with multiple people at the same time. Either men's and men and women. I think you get it. The next one is a term that is becoming more popular that I want you to become aware of. It's in the same vein as the last one with polygamy. It's thruple. It's meaning three people who are in a committed relationship that's only those three. It's becoming much more popular in our culture and our world. And God says, this is not how I've created you to behave. And this is not committed marriage relationship. This is not what it looks like. The next one, bestiality. You are not to have sexual relationships with animals. Another one is online or web chatting. 
There are many opportunities in the age of the internet to have relationships with people who are online. You will never meet them face to face, but you can reach out and find a connection. There are ads on the internet that will try to tempt you to click on them all over the place. This is a temptation and it is forbidden to have this type of relationship. The last one is a biblical word, orgy. This would be having casual relationships with many people at the same time. God does not honor those type of relationships. He does not honor those type of events. This is just not what God wants you to do. This is not how he created us to be, and it does not bring him honor. I know that was a weird list. That's my list of forbidden relationships that we find in our world today that I believe come from, that could be applied from our text today in Proverbs 5. In verses 19, or let's go to 20. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? There is no good, there is nothing holy, there is nothing righteous that comes from these relationships. And yet our sin inside of us is calling to us to have these types. Maybe you're not of the 20 things that I just put on that list. Maybe only one of them is a temptation to you. Only one of them might be something that allures you when nothing else is going on in the back of your head. The text in verse 20, why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman? Not just woman, man, woman, relationship. We should not be, but intoxication is a perfect word to describe what happens in our lives. God gives us holy desires, and yet our sin tries to corrupt them. God gave us sexual desire, which is good and right, when a man and a woman get married before God and they unite, sex is a beautiful, God-honoring, righteous thing. And yet our sin and Satan, I believe, tempt us to abuse that relationship and abuse that, that holiness that is offered. And yet the intoxication comes in when we are in a committed marital relationship, following God, doing what he says, yet we are drawn to things that are not holy and are not good. And the intoxication of it feels like we're drunk because it's like we have almost no power to resist. And no, that's what sin is trying to convince our minds. And yet what I'm telling you today is that wisdom tells you to fight. Wisdom tells you to run. How far should you be away from the, the home of the adulterous woman? As far as possible. My mother-in-law, I told her of what I was preaching this past week uh, in Okoboji. That's an interesting conversation to have with your mother-in-law. Uh, she, she said, a pastor once told me, what happens if Prince Charming moves next door to you? Move is the advice the pastor gave to her. 
And I thought, that is directly in line with our text. How far should you run away from the temptations that will destroy you? The text says it will consume you, it will enslave you, it will kill you, your body will deteriorate, it will break you down, and I believe it will take all of your relationships with it. It will take everything that God has meant for good and has blessed in this world for you to fulfill his commands, and it will ruin it if you succumb to these temptations and these sins. It is forbidden for a reason. God is not saying, oh, all of these things were possible, but I am saying, no, no, no. He is saying, this is not how I made you to be. I want you to be good. I want you to be faithful. I want you to have an abundant life full of joy and hope. I want you to succeed in your life, and I want you to succeed in bearing the witness of the gospel throughout generations. And yet all of these relationships, if you enter into them, will destroy that. Christians, it will destroy you. There's a reason why Satan puts temptations on every screen. There's a reason why every sales approach, it seems like on TV, has sex included in it. Because Satan knows you'll fall for it. It will whittle down your mind. It will whittle down your strength and your energy, and you will fall for it. So what do we need to do? to handle the temptation that the Proverbs is trying to teach us to stay away from. I have seven application points. The first one is kind of the offshoot. Some of you have committed some of these sins. Some of you have fallen to adultery. Some of you have cheated on your wife or your husband. Some of you have had emotional relationships with people who are not, you're not to have an emotional relationship with. Some of you have been a part of an orgy. Some of you have been in a homosexual relationship. Some of you have thought about entering into those things. The good news is that Jesus, when he came to die on the cross 2,000 years ago, he knew every thought you've ever had. Every desire, every opportunity that you pondered versus maybe you didn't even walk it, but you pondered. Maybe the relationship actually lasted for a few years. Maybe it's still happening today. Maybe right now you're hearing me say you're cheating on your wife or you're cheating on your husband at work. You're thinking about your boss. You're thinking about your coworker more than you should. Maybe you're looking on Facebook or Instagram at past relationships and you're thinking about that person. Maybe the desire of your heart is to, is to wonder, what if? What would it have been like? What would it be like now if I was able to? And God says, right now, if you confess those things to God, I forgive you. You are forgiven for every thought you've ever had. You are forgiven for every emotional desire towards evil that you've ever experienced. You're forgiven for every act you've ever committed, every relationship you've ever had, every time you've turned on the computer or looked on your phone or you saw something you shouldn't have and you stayed looking at it. 
every time when you pass by the billboard that you really liked, that one time you drive by again, every one of those things that you've ever done or thought about can be forgiven by the cross. That's why Jesus came to die, is so that he could wash away all of the sin and forgive you for every time you failed. That's the gospel. That's why we're all here. That's why we have any joy in life. It's because we're free from the power of sin and death. Sin leads to death. So, the second one is for the Christians. You are not that strong. No one here... Okay, here, let's say this. How many of you are married? Okay. How many of you are strong enough that you could always fight against the temptation if you were to walk your way into a kind of a relationship with somebody? How many of you are strong enough always to fight against it and always to overcome any temptation? That's what I thought. We're all weak, and we all need. No one is exempt, and all of us should be on guard against the adulteress, against the temptations, the sexual temptations of our day, because they are a true pandemic in our world. This temptation is everywhere. You are not exempt. You are not good. It could happen to you, and so be on guard. Number three, this one comes out of our text in verse 9. I'm going to read 15 through 19 again. Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be for yourself alone and not for the strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer in a graceful doe. Let her breast fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Allow your spouse to satisfy your desires. Let their thoughts, emotions, words, and body connect you to each other. God created you for one another, to help one another, to serve one another, to bless one another. Sexual temptation is real, and it can be intoxicating. And yet God has said in his mercy and his abundance and his greatness that I have, I've shown you what you should do with it. You should give it, all of that passion, all of that intoxication to your spouse, all of the goodness of sex. It should go to your spouse and no other. So the other side of that is let it. Let those temptations be fulfilled there. Let the desires that are welling up in you be fulfilled there in that relationship. This is a I'm doing premarital counseling right now for a, a young couple, and one of the, the lines that I say in it, I heard from another pastor, I didn't create it, um, let what you desire be what they are. We have a lot of young people. I love that they all sit up front. We got a couple scattered about. Um, when we, I'm just going to speak to you for a second. You can listen. When... 
when you think about when you get married, and then, well, you're married. Here you go. You're right there. He's married. Good. Uh, when you look at your wife, what she is is what you like. A lot of times we spend a lot of our energy trying to figure out, what do I want? What do I like? What do I not like? We try to discern all of these categories of thought to, so we know who to choose. And then we get married and we're stuck for the next 70 years. Right? My wife is going to change. Your wife is going to change. Your husband is going to change. So how do we deal with all of that where we've spent 10, 15 years trying to determine what we like and what we don't like, and now my wife doesn't look like what I like? My husband, he doesn't look like he used to. Maybe you've lost some parts of your body that um, you used to have, and maybe your wife used to like it. My advice to you, same advice that I give to the premarital counseling couple that I'm talking to, what they are is what you like. If they're really skinny, you're into skinny people. If they're not so skinny, you're into not so skinny people. If, if your husband is bald, guess what? You like bald people now. <laughs> if your husband has gained 20 pounds, you know, 10 years ago, my wife likes skinny guys. Today, she likes a guy with a little bit of something on him. <laughs> Be what, or like what they are. Let your de desires that you've spent 20 years, 10 years, 15 years trying to determine what they are, they're movable, just so you know. Let that be what you're into. Okay? Does that make sense? Stop trying to go, who's the perfect woman? Or who's the perfect man? What do they look like? What do they act like? How do they respond to you when they talk? What are the emotions that they flow out and they emote all of these different things? What's the perfect or what's the good guy, good girl in that? Once you're married, stop that. All that's going to do is increase temptation. What are you into? You're into what your spouse is. That's it. If you're... Steve's spouse, you're into a guy with glasses. You like glasses. If he gets LASIK, now you're not. <laughs> Let it be that simple. I think, I mean, we're laughing and it's fun. That's good. But it's, it is that simple and we can change what we desire, I believe. It doesn't have to be so hard. We just have to stop thinking so much about ourselves, which is the challenge, right? Okay. Number four, how are we doing on time? Oh, I'm doing great. <laughs> Number four, I thought, I think it'd be helpful to name temptations. So that, because we know the sins, right? If I said you're not supposed to have sex with an animal, you're like, duh, right? We know that. But where do the things start? So that's downstream where we've committed a sin and we need to confess to God and move and be forgiven and move on. What's the thing that pops into your head that's going to cause you to go, huh, I like the way he, she talked to me. I like the way he talked to me. I like that. That made me feel good. That made me feel special. That made, what are those things at the top of the line? Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? Top of the stream versus bottom of the stream. The bottom of the stream is the sin. The top is the temptation. What's the temptation that's going to lead to your enslavement and your death? I think it would be good to talk about what those things could be. So then you can identify them and cut them off right at the moment. Right? I hope that wasn't really loud. I didn't plan to snap. Uh, 
Okay, I've got A through L, so we're going to go quick through these. Um, the first temptation that seems small but will ultimately enslave you is an entitlement. I feel entitled to be able to look at other women because I've been such a good husband for so many years. I think it's my time now. I think I've done good. I work really hard at my job, so it's okay. We make this balancing act where it's like, well, I feel it's okay because I, what's the rationalization? I'm entitled to this because of that. Does that make sense? When your mind does that, you know you're headed bad. Cut it off at that point. You see the, the idea of what I'm going towards here? Okay, the second one. Simple, lust or attraction. Wow, she's pretty. I want to look at that. No, I don't. I don't want to look at that. I want to stop looking at that in that moment. In that moment, you know if it's like I'm looking at a pretty picture of someone on the wall versus I'm, wow. In the moment, you know what it is. And it's our job then to cut that thought off so we do not go into, hey, you know, I could hang out with her. I could spend time with her. Old school th word, at the water cooler, um, at the job. I could take my breaks with her. The second one is curiosity. I find this one a lot in men. It's just the simple curiosity. What if? I wonder. I wonder what that would be like. I wonder what she looks like without clothes on. I wonder. That thought right there is what's going to lead you to its end. We don't think that that thought is going to lead to a divorce, you to become an alcoholic, you to become estranged from your kids and hated by your kids because you've hurt mom. You, you don't think it's going to lead to you having liver cancer because of your alcoholism and then now you're in the hospital dying and wishing, if I wouldn't have pondered that thought, that's the end of these temptations. We're curious, what if? Don't what if. It will not help you. Lack of responsibility. Wouldn't it be nice to be free from all of the sin and issues that my spouse brings to our marriage? Wouldn't it be nice if I didn't have to deal with them anymore? This guy or this gal seems nice. Maybe I'll go spend time with them. Maybe if I switch, maybe if I divorce my wife and I find this woman, she's really, whatever, she's really nice to me. She says I'm good at stuff where my wife doesn't do that. Just move away from the responsibility that I have there. Discontent leading to envy, I wrote down. If I look around, I'll probably find somebody who I think, wow, that person's wife does something that my wife doesn't do. I wish they did. Why don't they? Why doesn't she do that for me? They do it for her husband. And we look at other people's relationships and we start envying them. Envy is a sin. We're discontent in our relationship. We become envious of another relationship. And at, at that moment, you start venturing away from God's desires for you. That make sense? Okay, you still with me? Okay. 
Um, younger people probably heard this term, a hall pass. You heard that term? Well, they're, they're following your lead very well. They're not doing anything. Um, <laughs> the temptation of a hall pass, it's planned infidelity. In our culture, people talk about having a hall pass. They make an agreement with their spouse after they get married that they say, well, if uh, whoever dot, dot, dot celebrity ever comes into my life and throws herself at me, you're going to say, it's okay for me to do whatever I want with her. That is a temptation. That door opening is straight from hell. It's planned infidelity. I mean, is your supermodel gal ever going to show up at your door and want you? Probably not. But it's the thought that triggers you to think, that's okay. God says, no, it's not. It's not okay. That's, that's sin taking root in your heart. Uh, for many women, the feeling of not being connected. A temptation that leads to a forbidden relationship is when the woman, usually a woman, I'm generalizing, forgive me about that, uh, of not being connected. Women specifically want to be connected. They want to be known. They want to be understood. They want to be loved. They want to feel that connection. And when they don't, they start wandering to find that connection to someone who will give it to them in the way they like. So men, this is one way that you can step up and help your wife feel connected. What does it take for them to feel connected to you? That's your job. Not feeling affirmed. This could go both ways, but I'm going to play it on the man's side for a second. Many men struggle with respect. They don't feel respected at their job. They don't res feel respected in the community. They don't feel respected at their church. They don't feel respected at their, um, in their home. Their kids don't respect them. Their wife doesn't respect them. If that one person does show that respect to them, that will be an amazing draw to them. They will go to that end. They will want to be respected and affirmed. This is an area that a woman can really bless a man. Respect, affirm, that's how one way you can care for your husband. I have not get feeling known similar to connected, not getting attention. A lot of men like to uh, spend their time doing other things. I would say women too. I'll say this for both of them. Um, we like to give our attention to the things we value and our, what we value is what usually feeds us. If we don't feel fed by our spouse, then we won't feel valued by our spouse. And if we don't feel valued by our spouse, then we don't feel like they give us any attention. And if they don't give us any attention, then I want to find someone who will because I matter to me and so, and I seem to matter to this person, so I'm going to go there. Or this lifestyle, there's a bunch of people online talking about how great it is and I want that connection. I want that relationship. I want that attention. There's a plague going across our country right now uh, with gender identity and people questioning the basics of who God has created us to be. And it creates for you an identity. And if you don't feel an identity in God's world, in God's kingdom, 
then you will seek out your identity elsewhere. And so, what's the LGBTQIA, whatever. That community will give you a community. And so people seek that. If you want attention, if that's what you crave and you're not getting it at home, there's a place that will offer it gladly to you. Don't go there. It will not help you. It will hurt you. And ultimately, it will end in death. We've covered the other two. Number five. When you are tempted, what can you do? So let's go very practical. If the temptress is coming for you, if the temptation, if you're feeling the intoxication, if the desire of your heart is being led towards somebody who it should not be led towards, number one, flee the temptation. The best picture I get from the Bible on this is Joseph, Potiphar's wife. Shows up naked, stripping off the guy's clothes. What does Joseph do? He does the right thing. Run. I don't care what you're doing in that moment, either it's mentally, emotionally, physically, and it may be physically, run. Get out of there, whatever it is. If that means you're sitting there in your room by yourself looking at your computer and the temptation, that intoxication comes, get out of your room. It might mean physically get out. Flee the temptation. Two, resist the devil. We get it from James. Uh, how do you resist the devil? The nice church answer would be pray. Read the word. Do something. Turn on the Christian radio. Play a song. Those are all good answers. Don't hear me say that's bad. I know I kind of phrased that in a bad way. I, when I feel tempted, and I believe it's not just my sin, but it's actually Satan trying to tempt me to do something evil, I don't know if it's just in jest. It, it, it isn't. But it seems kind of strange. But I tell Satan to go to hell. It helps me fight against him. His proper place is in hell. My proper place is with Jesus. Satan, you go to hell. That might be the only appropriate time that I really say, <laughs> go to hell. Satan, you deserve it. Uh, pursue holiness is the third one in Hebrews 12. Um, we are to pursue it. We're to strive for it. So this isn't in the moment of temptation, but set yourself up as a life of holiness so that you have the strength and the energy to fight when that temptation comes. The stronger you become, the more you'll be able to fight. Confess immediately. James 5, verse 16 says, confess your sins to one another and pray that you may be healed. Confess immediately. In that moment, in that when you're on your phone and God, take that away. I'm sorry for looking at that. Immediately confess. It breaks the power of sin. It takes away the power that your eyes have, your heart, that intoxication feeling has. Confess it. Confess it to him. Get in that relationship with him in that moment. Because the more you push him to the side, the more that temptation will come in. Get right back with him. 
Return and rejoice in your spouse. If you are feeling temptation to sin, you should run from the temptation and you should be running to two things, to the cross and to your spouse. You should tell her or him what's going on. You should say, help me. I am broken. I am tired. I need you now. Help me. This isn't a coercion. This isn't a power move. This is a plea. Help me. Find real fellowship, accountability, and prayer. To me, that's the church. But I want to take it one step more. It's the church that Jesus intends us to be. I want real fellowship, not just hanging out watching TV together. I want real accountability. I want real prayer, not just gossip session. I want real pray for me. I am hurting. I am tired. I am broken. I see this person. This person from my past is coming back. They just asked me to get coffee. Oh, what, is it okay? I need to tell John. I need to tell Steve. I need to tell Chuck. Somebody needs to know so that they can come and say, you didn't go, did you? Help me not go. I'm not letting you go. I'm going to take your car keys. Uh, what does it take for me to protect you, for you to protect me? That's real fellowship accountability. Okay? We need that. Number six, there's lies that we believe. If I just did it once, if I just succumbed to that relationship just once, no one would have to know. You would know. And God would know. The second lie, if I look but don't touch, that's a lie. If it is only online, then there is no victim. That's a lie. I deserve to have what I want. I worked really hard. I've been good for so long. My spouse hasn't held up their end of the relationship, so it's okay. That's a lie. If I found a better man or woman, then I'd be happy, or then I'd be satisfied. That's a lie. What you pour into in your relationships, what you give your energy towards, what you give your mind towards in life, are you building, say you're on a team and you're building this project together. The team that you're on, that you spend your time building it together, that's the one that's going to last. Work towards that team. If you are starting to play for another team and you're trying to play two projects at the same, two relationships at the same time, crush the other relationship that's drawing you away from your God-ordained, God-honoring, loving relationship. Go back to there, go back to your spouse and build that relationship. Where your vision is, your heart will be too. If that's what you're thinking about, if your spouse is who you're thinking about, that's where your heart will go to, and that's where your energy will go to. Go back to there. I want to come back to the gospel. Some of you have failed. I would say most of you have failed at some level from temptation to adultery. There's forgiveness. The cross is there for God to restore relationships with sinners to himself. He wants to have relationship with you. He wants fellowship with you. You can be forgiven. The guilt and the shame can be taken away by the cross. You can start again. 
the adulterous woman came to Jesus. Who is here to the woman caught in adultery, throw the stones? Nobody threw any. Who is, is, who is there who condemns you? She says, no one, Lord, neither do I. Go and sin no more. The cross was effective for her salvation. The cross was effective for her redemption. And for at that moment, stand up, live for Jesus. That's it. That's the simplicity of the cross. God did it for you. You don't have to. You cannot. If you try, you're actually dishonoring him. If you try to pay for your own sin, you cannot. Jesus did. Amen? So today, if you've confessed your sin to your Father, in the name of Jesus, be forgiven. Let's pray. Father, thank you for calling. God, I, I take that as you want us to hear from you. So today I ask you to speak. Speak to us. Speak into each one of our lives that we would know the temptations that are corrupting us, the thoughts that are holding us back from following you. Let us, right now, as we prepare for communion, let us confess those things and be free so that the adulteress, so the temptress, so the forbidden relationships, so that the, the ideas in our minds and the emotions in our heart would no longer hold us back from following you. We want you. We want more of you. We want to understand you. We want to see you. We want to serve you. God, we accept your forgiveness. We will not hold it over ourselves any longer, the, the pain of the past, the suffering of the past, the trials, the temptations, and the evil that we have done. If you forgive them, then we will move on. God, I pray that you would bless us with a passion to know your son, that it, that passion would overcome all other passions that you would become more, that we would become less, and that our spouses would be able to, we'd be able to serve you as one, as you intended us to be. We love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Would the servers come forward? First communion.